Retro Oddities. Retro Oddities. Retro Oddities. Retro Oddities. Retro Oddities. everyone and welcome to episode four of retro oddities i'm the fat wizard and i'm here today with i am shane of the twitch uh, stream shane is games i played the obscure the unusual and the nostalgic and today we're taking a look at police knots and i'm curious shane of what you just described the uh, you always have the catchphrase it's like the obscure the <laughs> what, what was it again obscure the unusual and the nostalgic Okay, and which one is Police Knots here? Oh my god. Uh, I, I think Obscure, because this one never yeah. actually came out in uh, in English official English release, which is really yeah. interesting, I think. Yeah, so uh, you direct me to a fan translation, and so I was kind of thinking, because this game is, is crazy, you know? Like, the dialogue is batshit crazy, and I'm I'm thinking, like... What would how funny would it be if someone like mistranslated everything (laughs) like on purpose, like completely, you know, out out of uh, left field there? And so you think you have an understanding of the story, but um, it's nothing like that. What do you think? How 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 faithful would you say that you think the translation is on that fan patch? I mean, mainly mainly based on the fact that I played the spiritual predecessor to this snatcher, which did have an English translation. Okay. They're very similar in a lot of ways. <laughs> okay. And I we, so, should, we should probably mention before we get too far in who made this game, right? Yeah, yeah. Who made it? Was it a 14-year-old teenager? You'd think so. <laughs> You'd think so. <laughs> the writer, director, and uh, uh, just the, not the producer. Uh, the designer, writer, director, and designer of this yeah. game is none other than Hideo Kojima of Metal Gear fame. Yeah, there you go. And, you know, I, I've i been familiar with Kojima's work through, you know, the Metal Gear games and the Zone of the Ender games. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he's been always a little pervy, right? But it was kind of like, you kind of like, you know, give him the, the old ribbon and you're, and you're like, you know, ah, oh, Kojima, that's, you know, that <laughs> that's Kojima. But when I played this game, I was like, oh, dear Lord, what is <laughs> happening right now? Like... Everything has has innuendo in it. It's it's definitely like got some, you know, pretty concerning. You know, I, again, this this game is is uh, mid nineties, right? Yeah, it is. And so uh, very regressive in some of the themes there. Oh, absolutely. Um, so fair warning that it's uh, it's not it's not a game that plays well in two thousand twenty two in terms of like you know some of the dialogue and the casual like insults about you know, particular people or, you know, uh, I, I don't know specific stuff, but I remember like thinking like, that's, that's, that's not something we would feel good about writing today, but no, absolutely not. Yeah. This is, uh, it's, this and Snatcher, I would say is very much the height of Kojima being incredibly thirsty. Um, 
in the sense that over the course of these two games, I don't think I can think of a single female NPC that the protagonist doesn't hit on at some point. Uh, which yeah. excessive is the word that comes to mind, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, extremely excessive. So let's talk a little bit about what you do, though. I, you know, obviously it's um, it's a visual novel as we're watching here, mm-hmm. and um, it's so. Here's the thing. I'll, I'll I'll be honest with folks here. Is you know this game. I, I like visual novels, but but for me, a visual novel has to have a very very strong initial pull and and good pacing so like in my opinion things like um like the 999 series oh yeah uh venture uh what's it uh last escape was it i don't remember what it's called uh last virtue last virtue virtue's yeah. last reward yeah. there you go yes yeah that's yeah one of those uh and then uh steins gate um mm-hmm. really great um trying to think of other visual novels but in any case like all those have pretty good uh pacing in my opinion or at least have like something that's uh well there's a spider on my hand there's a spider on my microphone sorry folks let me just take care of a little tiny red spider that's crazy i was like what's going on there (laughs) um anyway uh what i like about those is they have like a really cool hook at least for me you know it's like you got the signs you got the time travel 999 you got like kind of like a weird escape room saw type thing for police knots it started out like that it was like okay cool you're uh you're i guess you're like a uh in outer space or something like that right you're going up with a mission of like five people right and from it's a little hard for me to understand because it was a while ago but I, I think it was like your tether breaks and you just like start floating off into space is that is that more or less right what happens there right there was an accident with one yeah. of your thrusters you got shot off into space you end up frozen in the the depths of space for 25 years and then you get unfrozen and you have to kind of try and pick up your life. Yeah. And, and I really liked the idea. I was like, Oh, this is going to be a really cool sci-fi thing. And it it is a sci-fi, but it then brings it back into like this buddy cop thing. (laughs) And I'll be honest, I'm not a huge fan of like cop procedurals. So Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's a little difficult for me, you know, it's kind of like, it's almost like that detective noir story, right? Where yeah. uh, a pretty young dame ha- who happens to be your ex-wife uh, comes in. And is like, hey, you know, I, I've got uh, my husband is missing, and 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 then um, she gets uh, she gets fridged <laughs> pretty much after <laughs> that, right? Yeah, uh, she she dies in a car crash, and so again, this is all like the first thirty minutes. So uh, we'll, we'll try to stay away from spoilers as much as possible while still describing the game. Just because, you know, if people want to play this game, if you go through the entire story and like, oh, this is X, Y, Z happens, it kind of loses that luster there. So uh, Shane, as someone that has played through the game and experienced the story, I I finished around chapter two. I kind of saw all I needed to see. All right. Uh, You know, which is okay for retro oddities. We've talked about like, not every game might be for us and, sure, and sure. it's okay to stop. But Shane, I'd like you to walk me through like the, the story. Like does, do you feel like it has a pretty good uh, payoff there? Like a compelling story is there like, is it, does it like hook you in or like walk me through how you experience this? I thought it went to some interesting places, but with the caveat that it does hit every beat you would expect from a noir, 
you know, yeah. you've, you've got the alienated protagonist, you've got the, you've got a femme fatale, you've got a distrust of authority, mm-hmm. you've got a protagonist that's constantly down on his luck and is uh, overwhelmed. <laughs> um, so it, it does very much follow the formula you would expect, but uh, I really like the setting that they had it in, and they do do some, they do get into some interesting sci-fi sort of mm-hmm issues but they they don't really get into it until the last like third of the game which is not great (laughs) (laughs) i did think and and this is something that that is i'd say very typical for kojima's writing is he's very thorough when he thinks about okay so let's say that you have a society that has space right Mm -hmm. and you have there's there's these two locations which is home which is home basically earth home is earth Earth. that's what they're they sort of call it in slang in the game yeah and then there's this new place called beyond and i guess beyond seems to be some space station some way outside of earth right like uh, maybe a day's travel or something like that is that right right i i want to say they mentioned it's one of the the grange points which is where that new uh satellite just got launched to yeah the uh um Oh gosh, what was it? James Webb. Yeah, James Webb. Right. Just I, got it, I went to the second second Lagrange point or something mm-hmm. like that, where uh, you know, you know <laughs> retro oddities where you come to your late breaking scientific news. <laughs> so thanks for sticking with us, folks. So what I really like about it is he he thinks about like, all right, well, um, how how would you do certain things in space? Like for instance. Um, I'm trying to think of like nothing's coming off the top of my head, but here here's an example of of medical sciences, right? What if we had uh little bots that delivered the medicine to the affected portions of your body? So instead of like taking a shot and having to work through that muscle and then hopefully get that you know, penicillin or whatever to the spot. What if there was a little bot that went into your body and is like, I'm just going to like poke a little bit of penicillin into this, this, this infected cell. And that's the type of stuff I find really, really fascinating. Cause I was like, Oh yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. Right. And this idea of like this, as we get medical science more and more combined with like, uh, biology and, um, and computers, like that makes sense. You can see, how a pharmaceutical company would expand into that. So I'm curious, Shane, was there anything that you could remember? Uh, maybe I'm on like the space front there about like, you know, this is a really interesting thing and you can see like, yeah, this is definitely something we'd need to solve as a society that is spacefaring. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a couple things that are really, I think, well thought out from a speculative fiction uh, perspective. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, one of the things is there's a uh, subplot in the game about illegal organ smuggling. Yeah. And the reason they go into that is just because, and this is true in real life, we found that ex- prolonged exposure to zero gravity as well as uh, cosmic radiation uh, can cause organ failure in certain uh, people. Uh, your heart fails, your your liver fails, your kidneys fail. And so there's been a big trade in organs in this game because people are having to get them replaced as they spend a lot of time in outer space, especially if they end up uh, as, like, uh, one of the laborers that needs to work in zero-G environments there. Yeah. And I'm like, that's that's fascinating. That's that's really cool. I would, thinking from someone that would need to be spending a lot of time in space. 
I think that's really interesting. I mean, it's, it's kind of cyberpunk, but cyberpunk is usually just like, yeah, man, it's cool to have a laser eye, right? Where <laughs> right. this is like, it's not necessarily that they're doing it to augment themselves. They're like, no, I just need this to live. Mm-hmm. And and I think even um, uh, some of that medical science then feeds into that organ transplant where they're like, hey, you know, the body will reject these organs. So you, you know, you, you use these medicines to help... Um, your body accept the organs, and I think that was one of the things they were working on uh, for one of the later generations of of uh, medical science for the company. Correct, correct, and that yeah. uh, that uh, plays also into a whole big thing with uh, income inequality in the game as well. Because mm-hmm. if you're on the space station and you're just a paper pusher, you don't spend a lot of time in zero gravity. You don't end up needing organ replacements, which are hugely expensive and dangerous. Yeah, and so even though they have this like giant shiny space station out, you know, out there in uh, the deep, uh, there is still slums. There is still an underclass. Yeah, yeah, and I loved it. You there was you know some houses you'd go to that looked nice on the outside, and then you, you like look at the tree, and they're like, oh, that's a government owned tree. You can tell by the plaque. It's like the government put this on my house to make. <laughs> you know, make this place look good, but it's not a tree I own, even though it's on my property. So just little subtle things like that really help reinforce that. Like government wants people to look things to look nice. Um, even if you can't afford that. Exactly. So, just uh, sort of building a facade. For everyone yeah. To say. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about the gameplay here. Cause, um, I'll, I'll, another thing I had an issue with the game is that, you could uh, click on an object. Well, so first of all, there's a lot of detail on every screen. Oh like, yeah, you know, a lot of adventure games. You know, you can click on, you know, six, seven different things, but almost every single thing on the screen you could click on once or even twice or three times to get a different description. Mm-hmm. And me being kind of obsessive compulsive about understanding the entire scene it really slowed me down because I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to click on this uh, this mouse. Oh, it's a mouse to use a com- you know on a computer. And then you can click on it again and be like, I've been using this mouse for 25 years. And so there's a lot of like non sequiturs almost mm-hmm. that populate the scene. Shane, did you, were you able to um, restrain yourself at all? Or are you the type of person that wants to click on every little item on the screen? Oh, I want to see absolutely every little thing. <laughs> <laughs> If they took the time to write little descriptions, I want to see sure. every single yeah. one of them. <laughs> and, and and that's cool. I'm fine with that. But what I wasn't a big fan of is when you go to talk to someone, it presents a dialogue option. So mm-hmm. you'll have like, you know, ask about uh, so-and-so's husband. And you can, almost every one of those, you have to select twice to get all the information and sometimes three of them. Right. And that really bugs me because it's like, well, if there's more to tell me, is there a way we can like color code this to know that uh, if I click on it again, I'll get more information. Or if I click on it again, am I going to, are you just going to repeat what you told me? And there's no way to skip past that. So you're like, oh, okay. So I, I wish that there was a better way to say like, uh, there, you have more information, like either gray out the text when you've heard everything or just like when I click on a topic, just tell me everything at once, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And I've had adventure games that do that. Always kind of bugs me. Where's your take on that, Shane? One of my least favorite mechanics in adventure games, um, because there are moments in both this game and Snatcher where that's the only way to progress. Yeah. Is, is go You're to like, the person. I've, 
ask them every single topic until they stop <laughs> yeah. saying new things. New things, yeah. I I think even in the first uh, the first um, encounter with the uh, I don't remember the woman uh, woman who comes and talks to you is basically your ex wife. Right. I went through all the dialogue options. I'm like, all right, what? How, how do I advance in this? And then it's like, oh, you had to click on some of them again, and boom, now you can. Uh, now you can advance. It's very but, unintuitive. But, yeah, but there, the game does kind of hold your hand. You know, it's it, it basically won't allow you to move on to the scene until you've gotten all the information. At least, you know, from what I played, it won't allow you to move on until you've gotten all the information you need to move on to like the next step or the next location that you would go and visit. Right. So in many ways, I mean, it really is a visual novel, even though it has the facade, I guess, of, of an adventure game or a point-click adventure game. Uh, there's really, as far as I could tell, there's not a whole lot of like puzzles you solve. Do, I think you kind of pick up some items and you use those items to show other people. But Shane, as far as I know, there wasn't anything like, oh, you have to use this item on this item to solve this thing. No, they don't really give you an inventory, and they don't really have any sort of those puzzles. There's only a handful of yeah. puzzles. There's one involving matching some seals to some markings on some pills, I think. There's okay. one major puzzle in the game, and I want to mention oh. it because I did love it. I thought it was fantastic. Okay. Um, I think it's in the third act. Uh, there's a moment where you're you're chasing after a suspect, and you chase him into a uh, store that sells uh, women's handbags. Okay. And you find out that he's placed a bomb inside of one of the handbags. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm liking this game more and more as you talk, so keep going. And so it's sort of a two-piece puzzle. The first part is you found out that the bomb is in a knockoff handbag. So what you have to do is you have to go to all the handbags in the store and you have to find one that is that matches a real one and isn't a knockoff one. And that's sort mm -hmm. of a, a spot the difference type thing. Uh, okay. But I really liked it because every time you eliminate one of them, there's a little bit of dialogue where the character is talking about, oh, this is this is really tense. There's a timer ticking. We got to get through this. Sure. So it's it's not just sort of setting aside the narrative to, to do a puzzle. The puzzle's really integrated well. And uh, is there, can you lose there or? Oh yeah. You pick the wrong okay. thing. It explodes. You die. You start over. <laughs> is, is there a time limit as well? So this part, there isn't a time limit. Okay. But once you find the bag with the bomb, you open it up, and there is an entire puzzle where you have to defuse the bomb. Hmm. And this is sort of a short series of uh, mini-games. Uh, there's a part where you have to trace wires and snip the correct ones. Uh, there's okay. a part where you have to move a... Uh, you, you have to unscrew some screws to get uh, access to another panel. Um. And during that, there is a timer displayed in the corner of the bomb, ticking away the whole time. Um, okay. And I found that to be very tense, very interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the other moments that are are I maybe could be tense. I don't think I encountered any, but there's a uh, one of the things you can do is shoot a gun, mm -hmm. and uh, you actually do that quite early. Uh, so basically, you know, we talked about how your ex-wife is is killed. And um, they basically like plant a bomb on her car and blow it up. And then then you have to go on uh, and try to you know, capture the suspect because you kind of see the person do it and run away. And there's some scenes there where you're shooting your gun at them. 
And um, it's a little hard to control, though, because, you know, this is a PS1 game, and mm-hmm. this was, as far as I know, is before the analog stick there. Yeah. So you're just using the D-pad to try to move your cursor across the uh, the screen there, and, and often it was like, all right, push it to the right. Oh, a little too far. Put Try to <laughs> tap it to the left a little bit, and so kind of like lining up the shot as a guy's like popping in and out. No. So there's a... Interestingly enough, I don't think this would have been something that really came into play in the U.S., but mm-hmm. the game does have baked-in compatibility with the PS1 mouse, which Whoa. basically had no okay. presence in North America, but was kind of a thing <laughs> in Japan. Huh. Okay, well, uh, I guess it would make it easier if you could just mouse-click uh, on the enemies. And, and also, as you get to the uh, the police station, mm-hmm. one of the police stations... There is a uh, little incentive to sc- uh, score high on one of the um, one of the shooting gallery games. Little reward, yes. Think, yeah, little reward. Were you able to hit, hit that reward? I could not bring myself to attempt it. <laughs> <laughs> I tried it just to be like, how hard is it? It, it? it was a you know, I tried it like once or twice, and then I went to YouTube and just looked at it. But can we talk about Meryl? Like, we need to talk about Meryl. <laughs> okay, tell me about Meryl. So, there's a character in here named Meryl. Um, she... That name sounds a whole lot, like, very familiar. Where have I heard that? There, there, I believe there's a character in the first Metal Gear named Meryl as well. Meryl. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Probably a complete coincidence, but she looks exactly like her. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's more than just the name. She also and, mentions having worked for an organization called Foxhound. Yeah, it's like, okay. Uh, <laughs> Kojima's <laughs> breaking open the fifth wall over here, and he just wants you to know that he made that game, right? <laughs> yeah. And this was before Metal, the first Metal Gear as well. Uh, before the first Metal Gear Solid? or Metal Gear Solid, yeah. So, Oh, wait, so... Wait, 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 oh, this game came out before Metal Gear Solid. That's so right. So this is the first appearance of Meryl, not Metal Gear Solid. Oh my goodness. I didn't even think about that. I thought it was the, it was the other way around. Uh, Kojima, huh. okay, so- Kojima, as you may know, is very cheeky in this respect. Yeah. Uh, one of the very first screens of the game, when you're first, the camera's zooming into the uh, to Jonathan's private investigation agency, uh, mm-hmm. there's a neon sign that just says solid snake on the street as well yeah why not just throwing that out there and uh mentioning for the viewers right now they might not have known but the the two main characters in here jonathan and his partner ed Mm -hmm. uh very very much modeled to look like the main characters from lethal weapon Mm, yeah i uh i could see it now yeah Mm -hmm. mel gibson and danny glover i believe Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's cool. So, I mean, you know, just going on to show, you know, Kojima's uh, always likes to have uh, movie references in, in his games there. So mm-hmm. Loves those Easter eggs. Yeah. So, I want to talk a little bit about, like, what the police knot is, because, you know, the game's labeled a police knot, mm-hmm. and I find that kind of interesting, right? Right. So... Shane, walk me through a little bit about what the heck a police knot is. So the idea is the uh, the space station that they're building is not part of any specific nation, of course. 
So they built a police force that's kind of like the UN of police. And it's made up of individual police from a whole bunch of different member nations that are building this police station. Uh, so our protagonists, Jonathan and Ed, are from, I think, Los Angeles in the United States. Uh, there's somebody from Japan in there. There's somebody from Russia in there. Um, so there's just this big sort of United Nations style global uh, police force that is meant to, you know, enforce law on this station that doesn't specifically have laws from just one nation, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, again, talking about speculative fiction, that's definitely a problem that would need to be solved. How do you enforce the laws in space? What laws are you enforcing in space? <laughs> Good old street justice is how I do it. <laughs> There's a video game to be found there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, and I guess what's interesting is after, after the police knots uh, disband... Mm -hmm. They all seem to land in pretty high locations, except for Ed, I think, right? Everyone else seems to be like, oh, I'm a big wig of the pharmaceutical industry. Or this other guy's like, I am now the leader of the the police in you know, L.A. or wherever. Right. So they all seem to be pretty successful. And that's uh, something that Jonathan notices. You know, he's yeah. very aware of that and he gets kind of suspicious of whether there's any sort of corruption going on with his mm. former teammates um because it seems like everybody did suddenly get very cushy jobs after he got <laughs> jettisoned into space that seems weird Ooh. right yeah i mean i i definitely want to continue playing this game it's going to be one of these where i'll play like a half hour every week or something though so i will see the resolution at some point they're just slow going excellent and, and then the uh the actual police station is pretty cool because they've got like flying mechs yes that they can use to to <laughs> To go arrest people and, and monitor the civilians, so that's cool. Flying um, cars, of course, since it's the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but uh, I guess Ed is part of... Uh, I, I, the way I understand it, there's like kind of like the, the new cops and the old cops, right? Mm. Uh, and the old cops uh, Ed is part of, and that's where Merrill and this other dude is. And they uh, they seem to be almost like relegated to the basement floor, right? It's sort of like, yeah, turn in your badge, you're off the case sort of thing. Right. And so I, I think that was an interesting thought. It was like, you've got these people that are almost favorites of the police force. And they get these flying uh, mechs. And then you got the other guys that are just like, yeah, we get a car, we get a trooper car and we can... They, they let us have it for the weekend for fun or something like that. Right, right. And they're not taken very seriously. And they're just sort of given yeah. really low-level garbage uh, jobs to be uh, doing. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, as we find out, they're very competent. They're very uh, mm -hmm. driven, you know, to actually solve these cases, get criminals in prison. Mm-hmm. Whereas when we yeah. see the new cops, they all seem very, you know, full of themselves, very snooty. <laughs> Oh yeah, oh yeah. I think the, uh, I think even the leader, if I remember right, like the leader is like, I don't have time for you. Like the leader of the police station, mm -hmm. so almost like I don't have time for you. What do you need, Jonathan? Uh, when you when you meet him, right? He, he kind of treats them like children, just completely looks yeah. down on them. Yeah. Now I'm trying to I'm trying to see. This is, um. I'm also seeing that this game was on the 3DO, which was is pretty cool. It did get several ports. The the very yeah. original version of this game was actually on uh, PC Engine. 
Oh, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, I see uh, the PC 9821. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got the 3DO, the PlayStation, and Sega Saturn. And this so, had a thing that's sort of like Snatcher in uh, effect, in that the different versions ended up being very different. Oh, really? Uh, for in, example, in the, of... uh, the first couple of releases of this didn't have any voice acting, uh, whereas oh. the PS1 version did. Yeah. Um, and it looks like the Sega Saturn also supported a light gun for the, yeah. the gun firing, <laughs> so that's cool. For the, you know, 10 minutes that you actually would use it. You know, one of the other things I, I do like is that the animation that they, they'll do like these cutscenes, mm-hmm. little like a mini cartoons or whatever, and the, the animation is really fun to watch. Like, I, I kind of almost want to just see a Police Knots animation as opposed to playing the game. Uh, <laughs> I would be I, down for that, yeah. I, I love that. Yeah, it was cool. I really liked the art. I really liked the whole vibe of it, especially like the first 30 minutes where you're on Earth. Um, that felt mm-hmm. so noir. I love the lighting. The, it, the, it really did. Just the the very first shot you see with the light coming through the blinds as he's mm-hmm. sitting at his desk and smoking. Such a cool image. I love that. Yeah, I agree. I think it sets the, the tone of the game quite well. And... Uh... Also, yeah. I'm a big fan of the soundtrack, too. I thought that was really nice yep. as well. Soundtrack's great. Um, yeah, I, I guess, uh, again, just for me, it's the uh, the pacing wasn't there for me. Um, but, you know, there may be a point where it picks up and I become really interested in it. So, uh, Shane, as we're kind of wrapping things up, if you were to kind of, like, summarize why people should play Police Knots, like, I know we've kind of been doing this, but, like, can we articulate this in a couple lines of like what makes this game so special? Well, of course, if you like noir, I think it's a pretty cool noir. If you like speculative fiction, it's got some interesting yeah. ideas going as well there. And I think simply for historical value, um, mm-hmm. if you want to see a young Kojima still trying to stretch his legs, still trying to you know, figure out where he wants to go narratively. And as a game designer, you do see a lot of flashes of not just the obvious, the ones like Merrill, but you kind of see, you know, him talking about politics in several points, which would be a major Mm -hmm. factor in the Metal Gear series. And I think if you are a fan of Kojima and you want to see where he comes from, where he's going, I think that's a really interesting perspective to bring in as well. Yeah. And again, um, if you are able to read... Uh, I I think, I think it was just Japanese. I don't mm-hmm. know specifically as like uh, which it was kanji, hiragama, um, or what you know. Particular, uh, I'm not very fluent in my Japanese uh, writing and whatnot. But, Me neither. Um, uh, so yeah, like if you're able to read that, go for it. Otherwise, you will have to download this uh, and and use the fan translation. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but but you know maybe that's the best solution because i think this game goes for a pretty penny if you wanted to actually buy a real copy on any of the platforms like i don't think you'd get, be able to get it for very cheap it is actually very cheap is I it bought, really i bought my copy for 15 bucks what okay yep. now i need to look this up because like because I, I know snatcher is super expensive yeah snatcher's right? going for around 900 last i checked yeah and i figured police knots was the same thing but yeah you're right like the sega saturn you get for like 50 bucks here let's see police knots ps1 
Yeah, it's like, you know, 40 bucks from Japan or whatnot. So, yeah, there you go. Maybe this is the game you want to pick up and uh, and learn Japanese. And, um, if nothing else, some nice little shelf appeal for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do really love the box art that I'm seeing here. Oh, yeah, gorgeous, gorgeous. And um, I'm just kind of like clicking around a little bit here to see if there's anything, if it comes with like a little booklet or, or anything but i think it came with a little manual but of course not being able to read any of it i couldn't tell you much about <laughs> what it is <laughs> you know i'm really looking forward to and maybe this is there i haven't investigated that much but you know google translate being able to hold up your phone and just like you know put it on the tv and have it translate for yes. you uh i i would love that uh, so you could buy the originals and then uh, but again that's that would be more or less the literal translation. It's it's hard to get the colloquials and then uh um uh metaphors that they'd be using to especially really make the things sense. sense. Especially because I get the sense that Jonathan and Ed use a lot of slang in the way <laughs> yeah, they yeah, talk. Yeah. 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 Uh right. Well, uh I think we're gonna wrap it up here, but you know, we got our usual segment here is you know, we're kind of cheating a little bit because in some ways you could say Police Knots is a not a sequel to Snatcher, but spiritual successor. Right. But let's pretend, you know, <laughs> let's pretend Kojima is really hot to make Police Knots too. He thinks that the year of 2022 is the perfect time, you know, uh, politically, technology, bio or uh, pharmacy, all these things are coming together that start to make a lot of sense. And he wants to project into the future even more than what we have now. So you've been hired as uh, Kojima's ex- executive assistant to help guide him to making police knots too. Finally. How do you start that conversation? I almost feel like I'm cheating here since, <laughs> you know, you got a police procedural. It's like, gee, how do you just yeah. do another one of those? <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's also cheating because, you know, he already took the inspiration from Lethal Weapon. So, you know, jump forward a little bit. And now they're too old for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm getting too old for this police not stuff. <laughs> so but you can definitely they, do that. You know, he gets called I feel in like for... I, but police knots kind of already had that too old for that stuff. Like the dude was like thirty five or lost for twenty five or thirty five years. He's coming back. Everyone else is older, but he's still the same. So I feel mm-hmm. we got to do better than that, Shane. Let's try try this one again. That. All right, do we got to jump forward for even from that. Too old yeah. for being too old. They're geriatric okay. now. It's zero G, so they don't need wheelchairs or anything. They're just sort of hovering around, waving okay. their canes at the bad guys. Um, Mm -hmm. extremely low speed chases. Uh, (laughs) All right. I I can see that being Uh, a thing. Do we tone, uh, here's the question. Do we tone down the innuendo or amp it up? Do we really lean into that? Or do we say, eh, it's time to grow up here. I think we definitely tone it down and then get overridden by Kojima and get ratchet, crank it up to 11 anyway. (laughs) I was going to say, there's a, there's a place where you can make like, the old perverted man still kind of work, right? Where if it's more like people laughing at him for like, grandpa, no, that's no grandpa. You're embarrassing me. That sort of stuff. Like, I think, I think that could work if they went over the top there. Comedy definitely still has a space for the awkward grandpa. I believe this, the awkward grandpa. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, uh, police knots, uh, colon, uh, awful grandpa. 
Yeah. It's, it sounds like what we, what we're naming this. We and could, uh, we could yeah. even, if you wanted, have him training the next generation and call it. Oh, I don't know, Police <laughs> Knots Academy. <laughs> Just a thought. I like you know. it. Yeah. Well, uh, Shane, how if if I wanted, let's say that I have some amount of like channel points. I don't know. Um, I, 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 I'm not trying to ascribe a, a particular currency here, but let's just say I have a lot of channel points. Sure. How might I be able to spend those channel points to make police knots colon bad grandpa or whatever <laughs> we're calling it a reality? Well, of course, you know, being me being good friends with uh, Hideo Kojima personally, you know, I'm yeah. uh, texting me every other day. Uh, you, you assign some yeah. of those on my channel if you wanted to pop over there. Uh, where I uh, play the obscure, the unusual, the nostalgic every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And uh, perhaps I could, could be convinced to use the massive industry power that I definitely absolutely have and I'm not completely lying about to uh, leverage these yeah. games that will absolutely be getting sequels and uh, not be forgotten by history. Well, I mean, really, you're three for three on the, on the past episodes, right? So we've got all of our sequels to the games we've covered so far. And like, let's go for Police Knots 2. May as well. Yeah. So, you know, the, you've got the, uh, the historical uh, poll. Uh, the proof is in the pudding is what I'm trying to say here. Keep that so streak going. Let's make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, and what are you doing over like the next month or so? Like, what are you, you going to be doing? Um, we are actually going to be playing an old FromSoft game, the folks that made uh, uh, Dark Souls. Um, uh, I never heard of it. I have heard of uh, Armored Core, though. Oh, yeah, that as well. That's... There's a series that needs to come back. Yeah, I've also heard of Kingsfield. I don't know this Dark Souls stuff, though. <laughs> they made some old first-person horror games on PS1. What? Uh, called uh, the Echo Knight series. The Echo Knight, oh my. And uh, next week I'm going to be starting uh, an edition of that that never actually came out in English either, called Echo Knight 2 Lord of Nightmares. Um, you mentioned King's Field. Oh, they actually boy. play very similar to King's Field, except just no combat, because it's a horror game. I'm just looking it up an image here. Um... It's still that kind of first-person game. You're still kind of going around uh, cramped environments. So obviously the same engine. Yeah, and this uh, PS1. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the telltale signs of the uh, textures uh, sliding off the walls. So. <laughs> Those vertexes never quite meeting up. <laughs> That's close enough. You get the idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go, folks. If you want to watch some Echo Knight, uh, is it Echo Knight 2 or are you going to be doing like a serious playthrough here? Uh, we did the first one in the past. We're working on the second one now. Well, there you go. Let's uh, all head on over to Shane's games. Check out Echo Night 2. Uh, of course, if you're interested in more Saturday morning gaming content, we have a website, uh, www.saturdaymorninggamingshow.com. Got all the episodes of Retro Oddities and our main show. Um, I think we're, uh, we're going to be doing, uh, Metal Gears, probably the next game, because this game, this, this episode will probably release sometime in March. So we're going to be covering Metal Gear, which, you know, was written by none other but than, uh, Hideo Kojima. So we're getting kind of on a Kojima kick here, I think. That's a so, good thing to be doing. Uh, 
stay tuned for that. Well, Shane, it has been an absolute pleasure. Love talking old, obscure, nostalgic games with you. Um, and uh, we'll let you go. And then uh, we'll catch you on the next episode of Retro Oddities, man. Sounds good. <laughs>